It is my pleasure to welcome many members of Grace Christian Fellowship back to the sanctuary. So good morning to you. Good morning to those who are watching by podcast. And uh, good evening to our brothers and sisters in uh, Bangalore and Hyderabad. So it is also my pleasure to continue, at Hanvesh's request, our study of Daniel. Thus far, we did uh, Daniel chapters 1 through 6 which is a little different in uh, style from Daniel 7 through 12. So now we're going to jump into Daniel chapter 7 today. It's a pivotal chapter. In a way, it summarizes the rest of the book, but it also repeats things we already covered. Um, We said that the book of Daniel is a book of hope. It's a book of promise to God's people who are suffering. It's a book that gives insight into what's happening in heaven and interpretation of dreams and foretelling of future, not so that people can know what's going to happen precisely, but instead so that people can know what to do right now, so that people can know that our God is with us in suffering and so that people can, be, can respond to his call to holiness in an unjust and uh, secular or pagan culture. So let's review. Daniel chapters 1 through 6. What do we know about Daniel? He was how old when he, uh, when he was carried off to the pagan nation of Babylon? Probably a teenager. Probably a teenager, that's right. And who went with him? Some of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and some of the other nobility and youths, the, the intelligentsia, the wealthy, uh, the well-educated, right? So they were carried off to Babylon, and um, that wasn't just like going off to boarding school. He was being carried off in a time of war. He said goodbye to parents, other siblings, uh, cousins, everybody he'd ever known and loved. Um, it's likely that many or most of them he never saw again. It's likely that many of them were slaughtered in the killing and the killings that followed. It was bad, and it got worse after he had been there some years when Jerusalem continued to rebel against now their Babylonian captors, and later the Babylonians came through and did a series of like wiping out of the people so that only the poorest of the poor were left, just so somebody could farm so that the land wouldn't like lie fallow. So Daniel would have received news from that while in Babylon, under Babylonian captivity, after having gone through systematic brainwashing and re-education in uh, pagan literature and a pagan culture where there were no Christians, right? Except for him and his friends, and maybe a couple of Christian, you know, uh, worshipers of Yahweh that had been scattered there before, it's probably unlikely. He was very much alone in so many ways. Things were bad and they got worse. We saw how um, God had mercy on him when he and his friends cried out after his new king, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, said to all the to all the enchanters and magicians and astrologers and wise men, he called them all in at once and he said, I've had a dream and I'm troubled to know what it is. And I'm sure everybody else was too. And so he said, so tell me the dream I dreamt and then tell me what it meant. 
or else I'll rip your arms off. And of course, nobody could do it. And Daniel went home, and he and his three friends cried out to God, and they begged for mercy from the God of heaven. And that night, in a dream, God revealed to Daniel, answering their prayer, what Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed and what it meant. What was that dream? It was a dream of a big, what? A big statue, and it was made out of, what? Metals, gold, silver, iron, bronze, right? So we don't have the slide today, Clay. Uh, We don't have the slide today, but if you can imagine, uh, if you remember the slide, we had a picture of this giant statue with a head of gold, a chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, and legs of iron and feet of iron mixed with baked clay, like pottery, like porcelain, right? And Daniel interpreted this uh, terrifying dream to Nebuchadnezzar, and he said that God gave him wisdom that was not his own, and that the God of heaven raises up kings and lowers them, and that the four metals of the statue of man, the kingdoms of man, uh, represented four kings or four kingdoms, And he pointed at Nebuchadnezzar and he said, you are the head of gold, which we found out later probably went to his head. And we found out that there were these uh, three kingdoms coming and one current and that God was raising them up and God was going to shatter them and bring them low. And that in the time of those kings, a rock not cut out with human hands struck the statue in its feet of iron mixed with clay And the whole statue shattered and became like chaff that blew away in the wind. And the rock grew until it became a mountain, a mountain so big that it filled the whole earth. And Daniel said that there was another kingdom coming and there was another king. And Nebuchadnezzar wasn't quite on board with that yet. The next thing he did was go and make a giant golden statue. It probably looked like the one you saw in his dream, but this time the whole thing was gold. And we wonder if it didn't uh, have his face on it. Um, And he commanded all the peoples whom he had gathered from his entire now massive Babylonian empire, all the representatives, governors, leaders, everybody with any kind of title, he gathered them all and had them spread out in this giant plain um, near Babylon where he had set up this, uh, I think it was 90 foot tall. Am I getting that number right? 90 foot tall a statue of of, uh, gold, and he commanded everybody to bow down and worship it. So we remember that Daniel and his friends were members of a nation that God had brought low and carried off into captivity in his righteous judgment, primarily for their repeated generations of idolatry, idol worship, and all of the, the disturbing things that go along with idol worship and false religions. So God judged them, and he raised up Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to carry them away, which he did. Nebuchadnezzar has now encountered this God. Nebuchadnezzar, this like super pagan king, his capital city had something like more than a dozen different known major temples to various deities, various idol gods. And so Nebuchadnezzar doesn't quite get it. Even after this awesome encounter with God, where Daniel can interpret his dream, something that 
we wonder if the world had seen since the time of Joseph, a story that parallels this one. And so Nebuchadnezzar builds this statue, commands people to worship it. Well, Daniel's three friends refuse, and they say, we're not going to do it, and they don't. Nebuchadnezzar makes a giant fighter, has made a giant fiery furnace. He orders it heated seven times hotter, and he has Daniel's three friends thrown into it, and even the men who throw them in are burned alive. But this fiery furnace of Nebuchadnezzar's judgment did not match or represent God's judgment. God was not uh, here to judge their, his three friends, but to establish them and to save them. Nebuchadnezzar was out of line and had gone too far. And as any pagan king that goes beyond the boundaries that God sets for him or her, God doesn't let it happen. This is part of the message of Daniel, that Daniel and his friends and the rest of Israelites and the rest of the converts to Yahweh um, that Daniel and his friends have witnessed to are not alone and they're not in a kingdom out of control with kings out of control, with absolute power. There's no such thing as an absolute tyrant. This is God's world. That's the message of Daniel. It's a message of hope and a call to holiness in the midst of this pagan culture. It's not a call to action or resistance. It's a call to holiness. It's not a call to war, but a call to peace. God started the war and he raised up the pagan empire. So Nebuchadnezzar dies after, uh, after Jesus himself comes down from heaven and stands in the fiery furnace besides, beside Daniel's three friends. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar calls them out. Then Nebuchadnezzar has another uh, awesome vision. This time it was a dream of a giant what? A giant tree. And the tree represented Nebuchadnezzar. And in his dream, the tree was chopped down and... And the stump was wrapped up with iron and bronze, the, probably the two strongest metals known at the time. Um, but then uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who the tree represented, as interpreted by Daniel, was restored to his place. So a year later, Nebuchadnezzar was standing on the roof of his palace, admiring his grand and beautiful city that he had built for the glory of his majesty, in his own words, and the voice came from heaven saying that now the prophecy of the tree is fulfilled. And Nebuchadnezzar was, sanity was taken from him. The mind of a man was taken away from him and he was given a mind like the mind of an animal. And for seven times, it says, maybe seven years, the dew of heaven uh, alighted upon him, his fingernails and his hair grew long like that of an animal. And at the end of that time, he raised his eyes to heaven and he praised and honored the God of heaven, who, Nebuchadnezzar says, uh, gives the kingdoms of man to whomever he wills. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar finally got it. It seems that he became a Yahweh worshiper. It seems that he became a Christian. So at that point, Daniel's life probably got significantly better. Um, he lived for a while, Nebuchadnezzar lived for a while, and then Nebuchadnezzar died. A new king comes to power in Babylon, 
and he is not a king like Nebuchadnezzar. His name is Belshazzar. And what do we know of him? We saw in Daniel uh, chapter 5 that right before the Persian Empire finished conquering Babylon, when their armies were surrounding the city of the capital city, the fortress city of Babylon itself, Belshazzar, what does he do? Posts archers on the wall, prepares the catapults. He has a big party for um, a thousand of his lords and drank wine with them. And to make matters worse, he calls for the gold and the silver dishes and bowls and cups that were taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem by his father Nebuchadnezzar and has them brought so he can drink wine from them. And then he praises the gods of like metal and rock and wood and stuff while drinking wine from the vessels that had been dedicated to the Lord in his temple. So Belshazzar is like, he's like super pagan and idolatrous. A hand from God writes on the wall that his time is up. He's been weighed in the balances and found wanting and his time is up. And that night, Belshazzar was killed and a man named Darius the Mede inherited the kingdom. That brings us uh, up to Daniel chapter seven. So the tone of the book of Daniel changes from like historical narrative, Daniel telling the story, to um, now Daniel's having these visions and dreams. And Daniel has several powerful and uh, scary visions and dreams here in chapter seven and through the end of the book. And we've looked at how the first chapters of Daniel are a message that might neatly be described in the words of uh, Romans 8.28, that um, my mind is blank because I'm standing at a podium. What does Romans 8.28 say? All things work together for good for they that love God who are called according to his purpose. So Daniel and his friends powerfully learned the painful lesson uh, or the lesson under pain that all these things are really working together for good for they who have been called to holiness. So Daniel had his first dream right when Belshazzar, the, the worst king than Nebuchadnezzar, came to power. And that is uh, something for instruction for us. God is beginning to give Daniel his own special promises uh, of, of what to expect in years to come in his own words of hope right when Belshazzar comes to power. I don't think he told Belshazzar about it. Well, here's Daniel's vision. Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. So picture that. You've got wind coming from every direction, and the wind is coming from where? 
It's coming from heaven. It's coming from God. So God is blowing on what? The ocean. And the ocean is known to the Hebrew mind as this like thing that's uncontrollable and that's full of tumult. It's a, it's a symbol in ancient literature of chaos, right? So God, the breath of God is blowing on the ocean. And Daniel is seeing this. And four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it. That's a crazy dream. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth, in between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, this is, this is getting like more kind of weird and more scary as it goes on. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man." and a mouth speaking great things. So would you have been a little disturbed by this dream? Well, Daniel was. And as I looked, he wrote, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Wow. That just took it up a notch. So he sees... 
this wind from God, the four winds of heaven blowing on the ocean, blowing on the sea, stirring it up. It's like God is saying something into the ocean. And as the, the breath of God goes out to the, the ocean, in the, in the scriptures, especially in the Psalms, the sea is often a symbol for the Gentile nations around Israel. And then the land is a symbol for like God's people. So when Daniel and his friends uh, meditated on this dream in the days and months to come, that would have surely been in their mind. So the breath of God is blowing on this uncontrolled uh, sea, this, this place of the Gentiles, and these, these dangerous wild animals come up out of it. And we see in some of the language that it sounds like they have dominion that's given to them and then taken away. Does that sound like something Nebuchadnezzar recently said? Yeah, there are three times uh, in chapters one through six that, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar, I think, says that dominion is given from God to the kings of the earth. He gives and he takes it away. So what do you think these beasts represent? Good question. So as Daniel continues to dream and see these visions, he then sees this giant throne, like, like people, people are setting up a court uh, for judgment and for ruling and for authority, and they're putting thrones in place. And then there's the throne of this individual who's named the Ancient of Days. Think about that, the Ancient of Days. It's God our Father, and his name means that he's older than time itself. It's an awesome name, not given to anyone else. The hair of his head is white, like white wool. That speaks of exceeding, even infinite wisdom. Like, you know, the Proverbs say, gray hair is a, is a crown uh, of the aged, right? So like, you're old, you're gray, well, the, it's the old who, who have the wisdom greater than the youth. But here's, here's our heavenly father seated on his throne and his hair is white like pure wool. He has all the wisdom. He's older than time itself. And his throne is made of what? Like ivory? Is this like Solomon's throne or David's throne? Is it gold? Is it like really beautiful and ornate? It's made of fire. Only God can sit in this throne. Only God is worthy to judge. This is like in Revelation when we see someone come and take the scroll out of the hand of God. Like, who's worthy to even approach God? Someone comes to take the scroll of judgment out of the hand of God, and he is found worthy to open the seal and to, to, to break the seals and to open the scroll and to judge the earth. We see in Revelation Christ coming to God. Uh, Christ coming to God the Father, approaching this throne, and Christ is worthy to judge. No one but God is able or worthy to sit on the throne of judgment. So we probably should not sit on the throne of judgment either. So that's a caution. A stream of fire issued forth and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. That doesn't mean a thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. That means 
all the people are there, and everybody serves him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. Later in the book of Daniel, we'll see a book. It's called The Book of Truth, and an angel comes to Daniel to interpret a dream that we're going to see him have later, and he says, come, I'll show you what's written in the book of truth, and he tells him what's going to happen in the future. So here these books are opened, and then Daniel looks back at the beasts. So you've got these beasts, and there's this big and super scary, super terrifying beast, like, I don't know, I imagine like a, a bear and a lion and a wolverine and a, you know, you know some kind of super dangerous uh, thing you saw in National Geographic or something all rolled into one, but scarier and muscled like a superhero and, you know, and just this... Uh, uh, Un, un, otherworldly almost, um, like, like the strongest of the strong, the scariest of the scariest beasts. And it has teeth that aren't, made, aren't as hard as enamel, they're as hard as iron. And at the time, there's no metal known to man that's stronger or harder than iron. Like whoever had the technology to, to make a furnace hot enough to melt iron could make weapons made of iron. And then when they hit other people with their weapons or shot them with their iron arrows, like it would, uh, it could penetrate other people's armor. This is this shows like strength and rule over like more dominant than everybody else. Okay, so there's this beast. It's got all these horns, ten of them, and then three of them like are plucked up by the roots, and a little one grows up. And there's this horn on this beast's head, and it has eyeballs on it, and and it's talking. And and it's saying boastful and blasphemous things. Okay, so Daniel's seen the beast come out of the, the sea at the command of God, at the breath, the wind of God blowing on the sea. The beasts are there, boom, the fiery throne, and the only one who can sit on the throne is there. And Daniel, for a moment, doesn't see the beasts anymore. Now he's distracted again. Uh, he notices the words that this little horn is speaking. And as he looked, he doesn't have much time to think about it because wham, the beast is killed and its body is destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. The fire of God's throne, the fire of his glory speaks of unapproachable light. And the stream of fire issuing out before him says, he is unapproachable by any who are not worthy and capable and holy of getting near him. And the fire speaks of judgment. It says in the scripture that our God is a consuming fire. Paul writes um, in, in commanding the uh, Corinthians to be holy during the evil Roman Empire. He says, you know, take care and build on the foundation of Christ like righteous deeds, things that are valuable, things that are as valuable as gold and precious stones, not things that are worthless, worthless actions and wastes of time and a wasted life that's like, straw or wood or stubble that's just going to burn up when you pass through the flames, right? And this beast is destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. It never had a chance. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Now comes the really exciting part. Daniel keeps dreaming, and he sees in the night visions, and behold, 
with the clouds of heaven. So where are the clouds? Heaven. The clouds of heaven. These are the clouds of God. Over and over it says in Job and in the Psalms that, uh, and in Exodus that, uh, you remember the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud in which God's presence dwelt when he was with and in the midst of his people leading them through the wilderness out of Egypt to the promised land. You remember over and over when it says like he makes the, the storms and the thunder clouds his chariots and he shoots arrows like bolts of lightning and he rides on the wings of the storm. It's poetic language. It's, it's a literary device to, to show us that God is above and he is powerful and he rules over these dangerous storms that pass through and he is Lord and God over them. In Revelation, we see another picture of, of God the Father as shown to uh, the disciple John, the apostle John. And he says that thunder comes out from underneath his throne and lightning bolts. So God is dangerous. God is much more dangerous than all of these wild animals. So going back to the text, Daniel sees in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. So he looks like a guy. He looks like a, a man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This man is totally unlike and way more dangerous and has way more authority than all of these beasts that were so scary a few moments before and all of these horns speaking boastful things. So Daniel is freaked out by this dream and he writes, as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him to tell the truth concerning all of this. So he told me, and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. It sounds like in the sandlot when that kid has the flashlight to his face and he's like, Forever, if you've seen that movie. It's like his voice of this angel or servant of God is echoing. The saints will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. This is a message of hope to the people of God. No tyrant will ever arise who will wipe out all the Christians and take away our churches and everything we've got and and, and, and there will never be a time when there won't be another generation of Christians. In fact, 
Christ, the rock of ages, the rock on which the city of God is built. Moses, uh, Hebrews calls Jesus the rock that followed them in the wilderness. A rock is going to strike these statues or this statue, strike these kingdoms, and they're going to shatter and just blow away. And the kingdom of God will be like a holy mountain. And the people of God will be like a city set on a hill, a new Jerusalem, the new city of God, the new capital city. Daniel didn't see the restoration of Jerusalem in this way by the people of God being called the new Jerusalem. But John the apostle saw it and wrote about it in Revelation. Daniel and Revelation are messages of hope in poetic and sometimes scary and alarming language. They show the people of God what's really happening in heaven and the things that must soon take place so that we do not lose heart and so that we live holy and self-controlled lives in a culture that is ungodly. Daniel chapter 7, verse 19. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, the next hardest metal known to technology at the time, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, and the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High. We saw Nebuchadnezzar do that. We saw Belshazzar do that. Things didn't end well for them. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. That's the scripture and the calendar. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and his and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, 
My thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So that sounds like something that uh, happened to Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar earlier in Daniel. Remember when Nebuchadnezzar's color changed? He was already as mad as mad gets, and then his face changed to like a different shade of red, a demonic shade of red, and he was even more enraged. And then we saw Belshazzar, who saw the handwriting on the wall, and his knees knocked together, and, and his face became pale. His color changed. Well, now here's Daniel. Daniel's been a part of all that, and he's been there for all that. Now Daniel's color has changed. Daniel has seen something that I think is more awesome than the things that Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar saw. Daniel has seen a revelation of God himself. And Daniel, this holy man who has maintained his righteousness through an entire ungodly empire, Babylon is about to fall. Remember, this vision is in the first year of Belshazzar. Um, Belshazzar doesn't have long left to reign. And Daniel thinks things just got worse when Belshazzar came to power, something we might think when our next president, whoever that might be, is elected, or the one after that, or the one after that. Um, these are thoughts that all Christians everywhere have thought through the ages, when the Muslims came to power, when the, you know, the, the Turks and the quote-unquote holy, quote-unquote Roman, quote-unquote empire came to power in Europe. Um, students of history will understand that. And, um, you know, when, uh, when the empires after Babylon came to power. The book of Daniel, like the book of Revelation, is a message of hope and a call to holiness for Christians in every generation, past and present and future. So when we read these things, the first question on our minds should be, <clears throat> what exactly are these kings and kingdoms? What, what year did they come to power? What are the names of the kings? Like, I want names, I want dates, right? Is that how you were taught to read Daniel and Revelation if you went to Bible classes somewhere? If you approach it that way, like I was taught, you will miss the message of Daniel and Revelation. And we cannot afford to do that. It's okay if you don't understand all the details, the names, and the dates of these kings and these kingdoms. It's not okay if you miss the point. We will try to understand some of these details. We will probably have to go into another message. Um, but we cannot afford to miss the main point. The main point is that there are these kingdoms in the United States. There are these kingdoms in uh, Venezuela and in uh, uh, Indonesia and everywhere in the world that do not worship God and do not... Uh, represent God's authority um, with a whole lot of holiness or integrity or a whole lot of regard to Christians. But in the middle of it all, past, present, and future is one who came before time, and he's not going to reign later. He's sitting on his throne of judgment right now. And like the Canaanites who were not cast out of Canaan until after Abraham had walked through the land been promised that your descendants will inherit the land of Canaan, the promised land. And then after Abraham's descendants, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and all the generations of Hebrews after that for 400 years had been in Egypt in their own slavery. After that, the cup of the iniquity, the, the wine glass full of sin of the Canaanites was finally full. It took God hundreds of years to, to, to be ready to judge these Canaanites who were already wicked idolaters. 
And finally, the cup of their iniquity was full, says the scripture. And uh, God wiped them out, mostly. Although some of them he saved and they became part of the people of God, wonderfully. And when the people of God came out of Egypt, it wasn't just Hebrews, it was a mixed multitude. Egyptians, I would think many Egyptians came with them. God saved some of them too. And then when the people of God abandoned the ways of God quickly, like almost immediately when they came into the promised land of Israel, and then they had generations of idolatry, they weren't finally and ultimately judged until they were carried off into Babylon. Daniel lived through the entire Babylonian empire. He outlived it. Daniel, in his 80s, was probably one of those who came back to Jerusalem at the command of the Persian king, Cyrus. And we'll see that in our future study. But there was more to come. The people of Israel would continue to do evil until the time of Christ uh, under the Romans when, uh, when Jesus came into a land full of darkness. And when from the Pharisees to the Sadducees, uh, even the Essenes, all these uh, uh, zealots and Zionists, um, the land of Israel had become very dark and polluted. And Christ came like light dawning. Again, the people of Israel had earned judgment for themselves. And it wasn't until, uh, until a gener the last of the generation of those who were alive when Jesus walked and taught uh, in Israel that the cup of the Jews' sins was finally full to the brim, like again, and he took away their temple. And the kingdom of God, the people of God, the church was spread abroad and began to fill the whole earth, which it is doing now. In our previous studies of Daniel chapter one through six, um, we looked at, we said that Romans 8, 28 neatly summarizes uh, the main theme of Daniel one through six, that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him. Um, Daniel uh, chapter seven may more neatly be summarized by the following verses in Romans. Let me flip to it. Romans chapter eight, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? to all these beasts with their teeth and their claws and their wings, uh, the lion and the leopard and the bear. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Paul is writing of the fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That is, who's going to judge us with the fire or the judgment of man? Who's going to condemn us? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised 
who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, that's to God, we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as we come to Daniel chapter 7 and we see these beasts that represent the strength and the speed of a lion, the, uh, the Babylonian empire, we, we believe. And the next beast, the bear, probably represents the Medes and the Persians that was raised up on one side, right? Two kingdoms combined into the Medo-Persian empire. It had three ribs in its mouth. It may have been, uh, may have been the three kings that uh, Cyrus the Great, the first Persian king, had to conquer to consolidate his kingdom. It could have been the Lydians and Babylonians and Egyptians, three empires that he conquered, not sure. Um, the, the interpretation of the smallest of the details is not the key. The key is that that beast dominion also was taken away, along with the leopard. A leopard symbolizes speed and ferocity, ferociousness. I'm not sure the word there. English majors correct me. And it had four wings on its back, like an even faster leopard. And so Alexander the Great came in uh, the 300s BC, conquering like faster than anybody ever had before. And he shot across Greece, uh, then the Babylonian, which had become the Persian Empire, all the way into India, all of like Iran and, and all this territory. I believe he, he conquered uh, much of Egypt, the whole then Egyptian Empire. And it had, the leopard had four heads. Well, Alexander the Great uh, died at pretty young after conquering all this territory so quickly, and he had four generals, and his empire was split into four kingdoms. They became the Seleucids, the Ptolemies, and two others. Um, and the Seleucids and the Ptolemies, we're going to see in a, later in our study, their border went back and forth over the land of Israel. And there was a lot of fighting in Israel. And one of the coming chapters of Daniel is going to go into more detail of that, not to tell the people of God exactly what's going to happen, who the next Republican or Democrat or Roman or Greek or whatever politician is going to be or communist or whatnot or Muslim. It's, it's to give them hope and to say these things are coming. I, the Lord, know exactly what's coming. And I am on my throne of judgment. I will bring them to an end, especially the king that speaks boastful words against me and makes words war against the saints of the Most High, I'm just going to slay him, and I'm going to turn his body over to be burned with fire. So we saw these kings and kingdoms rise, and we saw them fall. We saw the Ancient of Days on his throne, with hair white like pure wool, having all the wisdom and all of the age and all of the authority and all of the power and worthiness to judge sitting on a throne not of ivory or gold, but a throne of fire. And as the court sat in judgment, he was the one that judged. And with him, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who came to him and was presented before him. But the Lord Jesus is pictured here as a man. Not quite so terrifying. A little bit more approachable. The prophets testify of Emmanuel, of God with us, of the person of God embodied in a, as a man, come down to earth and literally become God with us. But the greatness of the, of the kingdom of God in, and, it's, and it's spread so that it fills the whole earth like a drop of oil that you put on a metal until it just gets kind of wicked everywhere quickly. Um, the greatness of the kingdom is not fully revealed to Daniel like it is to other prophets. Um, like Joel prophesies of the Holy Spirit being poured out, out, poured out on all flesh. And today, Pentecost Sunday, we look back and remember the greatness of the kingdom being made yet more manifest as the Holy Spirit was poured out on the apostles as he has been to us this day and as he is being in the whole earth. And as for the fourth kingdom, well, most commentators think it was uh, Rome, which was a kingdom truly unlike any other kingdom before it, much more powerful, and, uh, and, and, and it was a vicious kingdom. Um, it chewed and engulfed all these other empires until it filled the entire Mediterranean world, the known world, the whole world, so to speak. Um, well, most commentators think that was, uh, that was Rome and its empire. Um, there is some question as to the exact identity of the king, the little horn speaking boastful things, who pushed out, who ousted three other kings. And the most important thing is not um, who was that guy and how do I build a bunker so I can, you know, go crawl into my hole in Montana when he comes to power. And how can I get some, you know, machine guns to defend myself and stock up on my, you know, uh, non-perishable foodstuffs like, that's not the point here. The point is, look at the throne. Look at the throne of fire. And look at, the one, look at the one who sits on the throne with the Father, Jesus, the Lamb of God. We see him in Revelation 1 and in Revelation 22. We'll go into more detail there. Um, the point is that Jesus is approachable. He is the only one who can approach the Ancient of Days. And he's the only one meek enough to come to us with mercy mixed with judgment, with fire mixed with water. Because we'll see later in Revelation 22, what's the river coming out from the throne of God? It's not fire anymore. It's the river of life. It's a river of water. And it says, anybody can drink from this. All you have to do is come. Come and behold the wondrous mystery of this son of man coming with the clouds of heaven, these storm clouds of judgment, and yet coming to earth and being found among us, and then upon his ascension, pouring out his Holy Spirit. Wonderful, wonderful mercy for the saints of God. Help in time of need, no matter who is in power and what kingdom we live under. We are the kingdom of God, and we are a kingdom among pagan kingdoms, and this kingdom is the only one that will last forever. And that's what we need to know. Amen.